All right. All right. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to play this. It's Harper with her fishnet stockings. It's the first time my my thing moved. Yeah. Mostly, it was like, "What's going on here?" Can you remember the last time it moved? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, it used to move yeah. all the time. Independent it used yeah, to be like Y two K celebrity. Humble and Fred only talking about things that matter. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, pour a cheerful toast and fill it, happy anniversary, but be careful you don't spill it, happy anniversary, oh, Can you hear that? Not at the beginning. No, I know, it was a bit low. Happy anniversary, Because uh, it's coming off YouTube. Happy anniversary. All right, there you go. Uh, 11 years ago today, today in Humble and Fred history, 11 years ago today, um, it's funny how that works because uh, how is that? How does it work where the actual days line up? Because however it was in October of 2011, we did our little test show on Friday. Yes, I know. I said the C word. Yes, I know. And it, it was a Friday, October 14th, 2011. And then All the right. first and then the first Monday that we started our journey was 11 years ago today. Oh, and it uh, was a Monday as well, is what you're saying. Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like every year, right? The day is a day later or is a day earlier? And then you get a leap year, which sort of screws everything up. So if November or October 17th, is on a Tuesday the next year. It's like on a Wednesday or something. And then you hit a leap year and it all screws up. Uh, hey, don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I love when people say that. Mm-hmm. You know, what Fred said was, mm-hmm. well, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you something, but you're not allowed to quote me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it was a, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it was at the time, I had just, it wasn't that long ago in, in October of 2011, I had just been on the radio that spring. I got fired from Boom 97.3. When I got fired, you were still working. But you and I, can you remind me why you and I uh, took a meeting at Boom? Because you were thinking of leaving or you knew it would, the end was coming? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted out of there. I was uh, I was a program director. Yeah, I, yeah, it was just a big dead end, and you know, it was very unfulfilling. And uh, yeah, I just wanted out. And the little general had become the general manager, and you know, he was managing up as usual instead of down. And yeah, it was very frustrating. And I had said to Delise, "September's it. I'm coming home uh, for sure." And this was in the spring. I said, I'll give it the summer. I'll see what happens because guys move around and what happens. Right. You were counting on coming back to Toronto in some capacity, hoping to, to program the edge. Yeah. I mean, that was my goal. You always have to set goals, right? Whether it was realistic or not. I thought, well, that will be my goal. I'll suck up this shitty money and renting this goofy little apartment and I'll learn something. And that's my goal. But then uh, and things were going fine again until 
the little general arrived and everything just became frustrating. All sorts of, you know, anyway. So if I got fired in May, you and I would have, uh, I don't, I can't remember if you reached out to me or we were talking about it. I, I remember in the winter of that year, you can always tell, you know, after all the years we've been doing this, you can kind of tell when the end is coming is, is when mm-hmm. the amount of consulting increases. So I'm doing a morning show with Colleen Rushholm, who I just freaking love and, and think she's super talented. And But our show was floundering and they were consulting us and it was clear that something was wrong or they thought something was wrong. And uh, somehow you and I ended up in a meeting with the program director of Boom, a guy named Chris. I can't remember his last name. Doesn't matter. Right. And uh, we sort of pitched him on mm-hmm. coming back together, doing the Humble and Fred show at Boom with Colleen. Okay, yes, right. And uh, there was a... Com- we had a nice meeting, actually, but there was a conversation later where they said something about market research. And I just recall they just didn't think we had enough equity left in the market. Mm-hmm. Or whatever the excuse was. But my point is they replaced us with the guy that I replaced, which is Stu Jeffries, who's now been doing the show for, well, 11 years. So I was uh, I was out and I only had a few months of severance. But I can't recall what I got. I guess what I'm getting to is I can't recall between when I was fired and when you were fired. If you and I were talking about this project. Oh, I believe so. And then the day I got fired, I think I phoned you right away. Or And then remember I had met, well, we had met that kid, but I had golfed with him a couple of times, Colin. Yeah, the, had, uh, this, I had this idea for sponsorship, and then we met with those people, you know, um, you know in a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we met uh, in what, like some highway people. restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but you talk about when you know the end is near, more consultants. There was some writing on the wall for me in Peterborough, too, because the little general, he was he was doing this thing where he was taking stations, staff from stations to his home out in Prince Edward County for the day. You know, for, you know, a barbecue, whatever. Like team right. building or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. That stuff. And then ours got canceled. A bunch of (laughs) (laughs) ours got canceled. Then all of a sudden we hear, oh, we're not doing that now. And then I heard afterwards that another station did. But again, I didn't think much of it. And then wait, 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 wait. Your barbecue got canceled because he was consulting a bunch of those small stations. Right. No, he was he was programmed like he. No, he was general. That's right. Right. Sorry. Right. Mm. So wait a second. So you hear that. I don't think I know this story. So you hear your barbecue is canceled, which is a bad indication. Right. But I didn't at the time. I just thought, oh, okay. for some reason he's canceled. it. then (laughs) we had a staff building or a team building staff meeting on. uh, It was one of those cruise boats in Peterborough, like it went out on the little lake, little I forget the name of the lake there in Peterborough might be little lake. I don't know where everybody gets on and there's, you know, there's food and there's booze and there's music and everybody's supposed to, you know hang out and well at one point during the cruise we stopped down for speeches 
and a couple of and he the general manager said some words and then i think i don't know what was whether it was the promo guy to talk about what was coming in the fall but he never called on me to say anything the program director (laughs) so i'm sitting there while he's talking i'm formulating in my mind what i'm gonna say and it just it started and ended without him without him saying okay and now the program fred's got a few words to say never happened so I remember coming away from that thinking, oh, that was a bit weird, but I don't know. Anyway, that, I, I forget what, I think that was in June. And then so, a couple of weeks after, a couple of weeks after that, I got gassed, I guess. So he didn't want to, uh, you know, put me through like a rah-rah session. <laughs> so, well, so the barbecue gets canceled. You don't get to speak on the staff cruise. Right. All, you, all the indicators are there. And it was July of 2011 when you finally got canned? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Which was good because I got, I believe, three months severance. Because on what I was going to do is come back the day after Labor Day and just quit. Um, now, this wasn't when I you would were, have had nothing then. Yeah, yeah, but this wasn't when you were thinking of going to work at Leon's. That was the last time you got fired, right? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was the, got, at the mix. I got fired at the mix and I had the golden parachute, but as it got towards the end, I'm starting to think, what am I going to do? And that was the story I took my mom's to Leon one day or my mom to Leon was one day because she needed a new couch or something. I'm looking around thinking, fuck, is it, will I end up doing something like this? <laughs> you know, I can just, like, who I, knows? Always, I always picture you at Leon's like with one of those like short sleeve dress shirts that sometimes you see people yeah. wear with your little like pocket you got your uh-huh. pens and things. What do they call that? The pocket protector. Um, <laughs> but getting back to our meeting. So you and I meet yeah. with the guy at Boom. Uh, they're not interested in the Humble and Fred show. Right. And and not that. Listen, I've said this. Stu does a great job. Uh, nothing bad mm-hmm. to say about Stu Jeffries. I think, given the opportunity, we could have done a nice job, too. And for the sake, but but I really think what they wanted was to get, now that I look back on it, it wasn't just about our performance, which wasn't bad. You know, I I mean, if you had left, if they had left Colleen and I Mm -hmm. in there for another, you know, couple of years, it would have, we would have been, we would have become, we would have. We would have become the Heritage Morning Show there. We just would have. It would have, would have, would have been fine. But I think what yeah. they were looking to do was not add a salary in you. They were looking to sever some salaries in, in Colleen and I. Right. Because even though I wasn't making Humble and Fred money, mm. it was pretty good money. It was Toronto, on mm. the lower end of Toronto, radio morning money. And so you get rid of me, Colleen, who's making decent money, and you put in Stu. So one person, as opposed to adding right. Fred Patterson, another you know another semi grown up salary, because that's what they've done. They've had, literally had Stu doing the show on his own all this time. And remember, eleven years ago, very music intensive. Yes, that was part of the strategy. Even in the morning, we're going to do these short breaks, and and I don't know. I don't. I've never heard Stu do that show, but obviously he's he's been there eleven years. Yeah, it's but the successful. song. But to your point, the song was yeah. successful for a lot of reasons. The format, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the format's a great format. Yeah. I loved it actually, but it's the song count per hour there is way yeah. past. It's like ten to fourteen songs an hour. So that was their idea that we're just going to go th- one guy mm-hmm. in there introducing songs, and he does again. Fantastic job. So I remember there's because some things have come up on Facebook recently and I get notifications, Facebook memories. And there's a couple of things I described as you and Pete in the studio. 
Um, our buddy Lumby, uh, who we're going to have on tomorrow with Dan Duran, who's in France right now. I remember you and I going out to his farm, building these uh, soundproof panels. Like all of that happened in that summer. And if the reason I wanted to get the timeline right, because if you got fired in July, August, September, we basically right. in this space of three months... Mm-hmm. found a place to do it. I was working at this place. Uh, we built a studio. Bill Hertz reached out to us. Mm-hmm. We had no sponsors to start with. We we were painting that studio in August. Were we really? Yeah, we were getting ready. Yes. Yeah. And we were putting the infrastructure and, you know, uh, thinking about what equipment we needed and, Mm-hmm. Do you remember, like, Lumby recommended us, to, we went and visited these guys at the audio place, and, and yes, we ended up not using their equipment. I know another guy that helped us out, you know, when we think about all the people that were responsible for us getting started, um, we had a lot of the radio help from guys that we worked with. Mm-hmm. Paul, um, what's Paul's last name? Used to be around all the time. <laughs> you know who I mean? Gat. Gat. Paul Gat. <clears throat> God damn it. From uh, from News Talk 1010, yeah. From yeah. Standard or Astral, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it all came together on the 14th of October. We tried out the equipment. We had the studio. We hung. We had already hung the uh, soundproofing. And uh, yes, I know I said the C word. But on the Monday, October 17th, we thought, okay, we're going we're to try this. And I know that... Uh, and it was never really... Like you've said this a few times, but I don't think we ever had it as a meeting where you and I said, okay, what we'll do is we'll do this and maybe someone will hire us. But I think we both individually Mm -hmm. thought, well, this will be our first shows together since 2005 at the time. And maybe someone will hear us. Yeah, I remember those conversations because, uh, you know, luckily, we were established enough. We had some personal money behind us, which has allowed us to do it every day for the next few months. I mean, that was part of the plan. And yeah, because we really didn't think we'd be able to generate enough revenue to make this a sort of a living or a job. Um, so really, that, again, that was, I'm sure, in the back of our minds, you know, we'll just uh, we'll do this for a few months and self-finance and see where it takes us and it was very key because that's when julie adam came onto the scene and we ended up doing the morning show in kingston through danny kingsbury in those few months put a lot of money in the bank behind us into humble and which was a real good boost that way um yeah if we started october of 2011 by the spring of 2012 yes uh is when we started doing the morning show at k-rock in mm-hmm. Kingston. And again, yes. even though it wasn't, a, you make a good point, even though it wasn't like a, a bunch of money, it was still money that helped yes. us survive until we had enough sponsors. Well, and by that time, Bill Hertz had gotten us a few sponsors um, to add to that. And again, part of our strategy was, you know, a lot of small businesses, you bring money in and you spend it. <laughs> our strategy was, you know, we'll budget ourselves. Yeah. We'll build up a, um, you know, we'll build up a, like an nest egg or a, a buffer zone. And I think that was key to the success. Well, and you make, you well. s- like you say, too, like at the time we started this, and, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, but the time we started this, 
we literally almost universally had to explain to everyone we met what a podcast was. Yeah. And I remember you talking about, you know, showing people on your phone how que- how we so think <laughs> about that conversation with somebody 11 years ago to the point now where I don't know anyone, even the peripheral golf guys that are, you know, maybe not the hippest guys who don't know what a podcast is slash and or have listened to some, you know, like right. it, it's such a different world. And in a way, it, it worked in our favor, because if we were starting it now. We would just be another of the bazillion podcasts, especially former radio people. But at the time, there weren't very many people doing what we were doing, which is guys that did morning shows that are now doing an Internet show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why it seemed a bit, you know, I guess the radio community thought, oh, that's cute. And, you know, there's, you know, I I don't want to keep bringing up sore points, but, uh, you know, there were some radio people that chirped us that uh, made fun of the fact that we were doing a a little podcast. And, of course, they're doing podcasts now. Absolutely. And if we can claim, listen, we're never getting we're never getting into the Radio Hall of Fame. But one thing we can claim Mm -hmm. in this area of, you know, the, the landscape of broadcasting changed. We were one of the first, if not the first established morning guys from a radio world that ended up doing this. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at something here. You talked about the people that helped us along the way, and sometimes we forget. Still on my phone, I have the Humble and Fred app. Now, before, like, iHeartRadio was in Canada, before, you know, um, I, I forget this other one that Chorus and Rogers uses, whatever it's called, Radio Player or something, before those aggregates even existed... Red Piston, remember the guys from yeah. there? Yeah. Good guys. They And let me back up a bit. In the early stages, we're thinking maybe we should get an app for easier access. People didn't know what podcasts were. And then you're thinking, okay, to access it. Now these things, these new things called apps on your phone, it's sort of an easy gateway to, to programming. And remember I talked to that kid. We talked about apps, and then I get a call from this kid, and then mm-hmm. I meet with him a couple of times. That's right. And he wanted this ridiculous amount of money to create an app for us. And we were we considered it. Oh, yeah. He was a bit shady. About it that on the kid show was a bit shady. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then we're talking about it on the show one morning, I believe, and we get this call from Red Piston. And they, within a week or so, they put together an app for us. And still, it exists. It's the HumbleAndFredRadio.com app. And it updates every day with all our shows and everything. The point of that was... In the early stages, it was the gateway to the show made it very simple Mm -hmm. on your phone. Now, since it's even simpler. Well, no, but but think about what you're saying. Our show predated Spotify having podcasts. I mean, Boone will be able to tell us this, but I don't know Mm -hmm. if even Apple had a podcast um, area like it does now. And all the other podcast aggregators, as you mentioned, like... Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of places you could find our show. We had a website. We had this right. app. Like, I, yeah, a lot of people listened off the website. And I remember even this was frustrating because this Humble and Fred app, I'm thinking, this is the coolest thing, man. But I would say to people, there's a Humble and Fred app. What's an app? Yeah, I know. People would say. And I'd say, well, let me see your phone. That's an app because they would have, like, the weather one or the mm-hmm. that, that's an app. 
well, what's that got to do with Humble and Fred? I said, well, we have a similar thing where you would just touch it and it goes to our show and everybody looks at you like you're an idiot. And then I would have to download it for because people would get their phone with apps already on it and not get new ones or download new ones because there wasn't. There wasn't a big universe of that. Well, and, and people weren't, and people weren't as comfortable with it as they were. Eleven years yeah. ago in the podcast world is a long, long time. Another mm-hmm. thing we were sort of crossing our fingers and counting on that one day people would, and it turned out to be true. We had these discussions, and I again, if you go back and listen to the early shows, we were talking about how the game would be changed when people would be able to stream or Bluetooth. Their, their phone through their car and listen to our show that way, which, of course, a lot of people do now. It's very, you know, it's so weird how comfortable we've all become in just over a decade doing what I just described. Like, you know, there's a couple of shows I like on podcasts and I just get in my car and I just Bluetooth it. Yeah. And that's my radio show for the, the ride. But and people, now it's but right people didn't, yeah, People didn't do that before. No, like... Um, some of them now in the cars like Google Play and all that. It makes it so simple. One thing I'll mention Rob Farina, too, because he opened our eyes to something. Remember, for a while, we had an idea. Let's create, in anticipation of people being able to stream in their cars, a Humble and Fred radio station. Yes, exactly. We we're going to do all that. this cool, you know, CFNY type music. And, of course, we're not going to be able to staff it 24 hours a day. So we'll play clips and then the morning show will be live. And he had just sort of gotten into iHeartRadio, and I threw it by him, and he said, guys, you're wasting your time. He said, people want, going forward, people are going to want Humble and Fred. They're not going to want Humble and Fred and music. Mm-hmm. They're going to want, people are, want things in bite-sized pieces, and they just want, they want to, they just want what they want. He said, you know, you're going to put hours into putting music around it and everything. That's not what they want. They want Humble and Fred. So just give them Humble and Fred, which saved a lot of work and sweat and, you know, time. Yeah. And, and, that, and ultimately, that is true because, you know, and that was even the days he told us that when, like, even so, we didn't have Spotify yet. We weren't even aware that these music services were coming where if you wanted music, you'd go there for it. Yeah, you exactly. want Humble and Fred, you go there for it. You can't mix but, but, the two. But we, this wasn't just one meeting we had. We Remember, we had Earl Veal in, and we were going to see if we could yes. program it. And, and what, what, the, whole, the whole point was we would create our own radio station of just mm-hmm. – like, and, and where we got the idea was Stern, who had Howard 100 and Howard 101. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd create Humble right. and Fred 100, and it would just be us. The show would be live, and then the rest of the day would be best of bits and music again predating spotify and all the other music aggregators but again uh, to to um farina's credit like he you know he was on the inside of that stuff and he saw that coming and he no, said, no. Well, i'm not sure you no, want to no. go there you know yeah rob was uh rob one of those interesting characters in our yeah. career mine in particular because he was my last boss right prior i think to me getting fired and uh, that was the meeting I told you. He called me up to his office, mm-hmm. where after doing my job for, at that point, I guess, 38 years, told me that maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't be the, the host anymore. Maybe that was the problem with the show. So maybe mm-hmm. we should get another host, and I would just sit there, you know, cracking wise. 
And I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I want to do that, but sure, Rob, if you think that's the, if that's your best idea right now. Now there's a miscalculation and going back to the beginning of this conversation, when you said at boom, they did some market research or something and we weren't fresh enough or whatever the right. term was you used. You know, that goes back to being on the edge, right? Sure. It was sort of such a niche station. And we were very popular there, and we got great numbers for there, and we generate a lot of revenue for them. But the Edge really wasn't one of those stations like your second favorite or your third favorite station. You were an Edge listener or nothing. You know what I mean back then? For a lot of guys. So what that did, it really limited our sort of mass appeal across the market because people didn't sample us as much as they would have q107 or chfi or you know the mix or those stations which is too bad well and what it did is and again i don't know what exactly the 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 excuse about not hiring you to work with me it but i just remember something about market research around the same time that rob farina said maybe i shouldn't have been a morning guy um (laughs) or what or they probably (laughs) Or that at, at boom, that guy, that Chris guy, whatever. He probably maybe phoned Gary Slate and said, "I'm thinking of hiring Fred to work with Howard." No, don't do that. Don't <laughs> That's right. Me. Whatever you do, master for me. Anyway, speaking of music, and I and I was thinking about this. I I, I didn't realize we were going to do like a half an hour on this nostalgia, but it is the it is the 11th anniversary of the very first day that we started doing this Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. and to, to our credit, to you as a programmer. We were just going to do it every day. We did it five days a week for years. We pumped out this show with people, with guests, with, you know, news and Eileen and Amanda Barker. We did it every day for years to the point now where, you know, if we don't do it every day, like we're old men now. I was 51 years old when we started. You were 53. And what? No, 50 what? 55. Oh, that's right. You're four years older than me. Because I remember I was the same age that Peter Griffin was when he started at CFNY back in 1980 or whatever it was. <laughs> so we decided we would do this thing. And for some reason, I was thinking of this morning why we decided to use this music. But ever since we began, this is how all of our shows began. This episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from the well-equipped Humble and Fred Studios in trendy Toronto and beautiful Brampton. And is brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, and HealthGage. And now here are two men who are saving the world one opinion at a time. It's Humble and Fred. Yeah, I don't know where this uh, idea to play the Black Keys came from, but uh, this has been the uh, theme of the program. The uh, extra for you, Hundy Peas, the Beck extra of using where it's at, uh, that came much later. But I believe this was uh, part of it from the very beginning. There's something about this song that just uh, sounds like us. I don't know why. Uh, but it's great forever. I thanks everyone for uh, making us part of your lives for eleven years. Uh, this morning, there's no guests because it's Monday, and we just and there's no Dan obviously because he's in France. We're going to talk to Dan and Jeff tomorrow. But uh, I will. We do have one 
new uh, sponsor, and he's going to pop in toward the end of the show. It's the Electric Vehicle Network. I know some people on Twitter were excited that we were going to give away. I saw Boone had posted on behalf of us, hey, tomorrow morning it's a, a big announcement on the show. And some people on Twitter thought, oh, you guys are giving away an electric vehicle? No, yeah. but I will tell you this. In the next year or so, there's going to be an opportunity for Humble and Fred listeners to test drive an electric vehicle. We're, we are going to give away one for you to drive for the weekend. And uh, it's quite... Uh, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, I've had the last three or four days driving an electric vehicle for the first time. And, uh, dude, I, you're going to have one for a month, I think, when I'm gone to Mexico next month. You're, it's really something else. And, and I don't want to go into too much, just other than to say... It is so different than what I thought it was going to be and such a different driving experience. But uh, Daryl Croft from the Electric Vehicle Network will be with us uh, sometime toward the end of this program. But it's uh, it's quite something. Right on. Look forward to it. Yeah, man. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Charlie Michelle, Glassman, and uh, her work partner, uh, the two of them created, uh, James is his name, James and Charlie created this character most people know now that they have this dog account booby underscore billy on instagram if you haven't seen it go check it out anyway they're on tomorrow uh charlie and we're i'm gonna be gone for her birthday is the point i'm trying to make and so we had uh dinner together with her mom and uh, sister at my house yesterday and i cooked for the first time in a while here's what i wanted to tell you i made a nice steak by the way i made some nice steaks cast iron that's the way to go so we had cast iron steaks beautiful i made a beautiful caesar salad and then i did this thing i i've seen it done on the social media where you sweat onions like just let them cook for a long time if you ever done this and then at the last minute i put in a huge pile of mushrooms and then when the steak was ready i took it out of the oven let it rest and i took the steak juice poured it on the mushrooms and it was all of it was really good but at the end of the night, everything I just described was on my shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sounds like me. It was funny. At one point, at the end of dinner, we were sitting around the table. And I just looked down, and I was like, oh, mm. including dessert. <laughs> I had just had this dessert that uh, the mother brought over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked down, and everything was on my shirt. The mushrooms. I had some uh, Caesar dressing. Mm. Uh, I had a bit of chocolate. <laughs> it's a work zone. <laughs> it's a what? It's a work zone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just looked down. I'm like, I'm, I'm a grown man. I, I just, I should be able to maintain. Yep. But I bet chefs and restaurants are all splattered. Coming. Yeah, yeah. Doing this, doing that, grabbing this, grabbing that. I'll tell you, that is my favorite way to cook a steak, though. Just sear it with a little bit of butter and garlic and then baste it. And then once it's seared on the one side, I stick it in the oven 400 for five minutes, take it out, let it rest, sliced it. Then you just blast it again with the broiler. And uh, yeah, it's just so simple. What cut of steak? Ribeye. Nice. Not great. You know, not the most expensive, but really nice. Three of them for four of us. You know, gone are the days where I'm going to have an entire steak myself. I mean, I could. It's not like I couldn't eat it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I I like I I can't really say I've enjoyed a steak that way. Like I really haven't had one. 
so to speak done that way seared and then baked i i just haven't i'll have to try it sometime yeah it's so just for me I it's really a can't comment on it it's a foolproof method um although you know what i shouldn't say that maybe darren's done that up at the i'm sure darren before, has but, but i probably had a couple of beers and so hey speaking of food you uh said something to me just before we started recording that uh i totally relate to and others will as well which is uh, the increase of weight during the summertime period. Yeah, mine's just the last few weeks. I'm up from, uh, I'm up about five pounds since the spring. I was like, I was in the spring, I was like 170, 171, and right now I'm like 176. It's alarming. Yeah, yeah I'm up about go. three and a half myself. But you're right. It has been just this fall. Like September, up until the end of August, I was around 180, 181. Mm-hmm. And now I'm consistently 183 to 184. The thing is with me, I don't want an eight. So I got to get on this. That's for sure. And you know what? It's Howard. It's how you... I don't know, what's the term? Fall off the wagon. How I could, in the spring, be so conscious of everything I put in my mouth. But even, like, last night, I make a cup of tea before I watch the, you know, I'm getting ready to watch the Eagles and the Cowboys, just the mm-hmm. beginning of the game. Cup of tea. And Delise had bought these <clears throat> Portuguese tarts. I swear, in the spring, I would not have had one. At that point in the day, I would have thought, no, this isn't good. I'm not going to do that before I go to bed. But I right. had one. Of course. Because you don't. Again, you just sort of slowly get away from all the things that worked for you. Why is that? I, I thought the same thing. I still have the Noom app. I still weigh myself every day. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, every day? No. Most days? And that's the alarming part, because a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, I was 174.8, and then I, I thought about it, and then I got down to 174.2, and now, I hadn't weighed myself for maybe three or four days over the weekend, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I get on the on the scale, and we had people over Saturday night, and I, you know, I enjoyed myself and maybe three beers and some diverse desserts and stuff. But I'll tell you, it doesn't take much to make that thing go up. <laughs> yeah, I still weigh myself every day. I don't log meals. I haven't done that since the spring. And to your point, that's when I was the most aware and that's all that noom really was for me and you and i think a lot of people that tried it is it just gives you food awareness so that like i do this thing they in the noom world they call it swarm eating do you ever do that or where you just like yes Mm -hmm. where i just go from one snack course to another over the course of the evening yeah there's some weed involved and maybe that's part of the problem but there was a time in the spring where if i was you know, a little bit buzzed and I wanted to eat a snack, I'd have grapes or I'd have mm-hmm. a couple of little, like an amount of something. Whereas now I just, I just, just take buckets of popcorn and then the next thing I'll have a freezy. Yeah. And then I maybe have some spit, <laughs> some spits. But as, mm-hmm. as far, I, I said to you before the show and you sort of were, you said you weren't sure that it was true, but I said, there's some, isn't there something about human beings as the uh, fall turns into winter, that people start to bulk up. Isn't that part of, like, our evolutionary uh, imperative? 
I can't speak to that, but it sounds like a great excuse. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's why I'm going to tell people. I am gaining a little bit of weight. I'm bulking up for the winter. Oh, here's the way I look at it. I mean, from my perspective, that may be true. I am not discounting that. But I, it's not a great mystery for me. Like all summer, I'm cutting the lawn. I'm doing this. I'm up north. I'm, you know, you always seem to be doing something. The last few weeks, that sort of, I haven't been doing enough, and I've been eating more. It's not uh, rocket science. No, it's true. I, I've been, you know, even in the, during my great times of weight loss and maintaining, in the morning if I have an omelet, I don't have any toast with it. For some reason now, like Danny brings the sourdough bread home. Nice. So I have an omelet yesterday, but what do I do? I have a piece of this big sourdough bread, and it was so good that I had another one. So delicious. I know it isn't. Well, same with me. You know, I I walk a lot in the summertime, and and you know I've played golf in the fall, and I, I walked on Saturday. So yes. I walked Saturday. So that's whatever number of steps that is, ten to twelve thousand steps. So I think then because I walked, it's okay to have because we had our little end of the season. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning game get together and we had a, a sort of a they had done arranged a menu for us after there's about 40 or 50 of us so I had at least 10 chicken wings I had french fries I had gravy I had there was all there was uh, nachos and uh, I just kept eating it until not not quite as bad as the like I told you the day after Wednesday my shoulders hurt I ate so much mm-hmm but I would have in the spring. I would have never had those chicken wings. Mm-hmm. I would have said, "Okay, I'm going to have something else and uh, save those calories." And and that whole concept of uh, you know when you're watching what you're doing, when you actually have the carb, you have carb withdrawal. But once you get over it, you don't crave them. Yeah. But then once you reintroduce them again, it's like it's poison, man. You know. You know, before I forget, and I had meant to uh, to read this when we were talking about the uh, creation of the show. This was uh, I don't I don't look at this very often, but you know, on Apple iTunes they have our reviews. People will, can review your podcast, and this one just came in on the weekend. This says, uh, "Big fan for twenty five plus years. What a great show!" Says. This fan, I followed H&F since high school. I quickly became a 100 percenter when I discovered their podcast. And this just came in from Greg in Rockwood. Thank you, Greg. And thank you to everyone that has uh, supported us since October of 2011, including how about these fine folks? Hey, let's talk a little sports, a little boat dog. Tonight, the Monday uh, nighter, the uh, Chargers, a uh, four and a half point pick over the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Chargers, you bet uh, 220 to win 100, so they're minus 220. And the Leafers are home to the Yotes tonight. That's the Arizona Coyotes. Minus 525 on the Leafs, so heavily favored. Uh, Bodog is where to go, whether you're a sports better, a horse racing fan, a poker casino player. Bodog, your number one source of online gambling entertainment from their industry-leading odds, world-class sportsbook and feature-rich poker room to their fully loaded casino and racebook. They've been providing Canadian players with an unparalleled gaming experience since 1994. It's all there. Anything you can think about in sports to wager upon is at Bodog. Yeah, when we uh, after I talk about GoDaddy here, I want to talk about... 
your uh, Buffalo Bills beating uh, Kansas City. Also, have we talked since the Leafs lost uh, with 17 seconds left in the game? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we did. Okay, good. We talked about that the other morning. I, was, I wasn't <laughs> watching right. the game and fell asleep oh, and right. turned it on right at the end just as... Yeah. <laughs> you turn it on just in time to observe more magic. Although they've won twice since then. Uh, great. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for you and everyone that follows this team until oh. April. Uh, this program brought to you by GoDaddy. It's funny, you know, you mentioned Bodog. And we've had such great legacy clients. The Sherpa, Chamber Plan, Gig Sky. And back in the early days, we had Pizza Pizza for a good three or four years. Of course, the Slates supported us in various terms and ways for the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. And and now when I say, like, it's funny, at one point, if you had said, hey, GoDaddy and Bodog are going to sponsor your show, I'd be like, come on. That's like for a big established, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're proud to uh, have Bodog uh, power small business and entrepreneurs for over 25 years, servicing 20 million customers worldwide. GoDaddy is where people come to get a domain, create a website, and everything else you need to get your business online. I've told you this before. Here's the key. You get 24-7 phone support. That means a person will talk to you in case there's a glitch in your system, especially if you're starting a small business. Here's another key. You can start your website for free right now. Try it out. No credit cards even required. Uh, Give it a shot. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the day you try your hand and you get your side hustle going. Maybe that small business you've always wanted to start. Maybe today's the day. You visit GoDaddy.ca and learn more. So a couple observations about the Bills game. One is that uh, field goal kicker for Kansas City, mm-hmm. Buckner or Bucket Butter or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. kicks a 62-yard field goal. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. You don't see that very often. Into the wind, just drilled it. Which brings yeah. up a question for you, because I, don't, I really wasn't sure when I saw it. I watched it a couple times, actually. I was just cur- it's sort of curious how it's done. How... Uh, is what would is that would that be one of the longest, if not the longest, field goal for a season? Uh, it says Harrison Butker sets Chiefs, Chiefs record with a sixty-two yard field goal. No, I think the NFL record is a little bit longer than that. For years, I think it was sixty. Um, Tom Dempsey, remember him? He used to he had half a foot. No, so I don't remember him. He had half a foot. What do you mean he had half a foot? His kicking foot, he only had half a foot, so the front of his shoe was blunt. Wait a second. He had like a nub? A foot nub? Yeah. Yeah. Is that legal? Can you do that? Well, they let him do it. Wait a second. What? You mean the top half with all the toes is gone? Yeah, like from the bridge or, you know, whatever you call it. Like his toes in back half the foot was gone. Yeah, but that's... Okay, so Tom Dempsey. So, so Google it. And look I'm at googling a it right now. Boot. Yeah, that doesn't seem legal. Okay, I don't know. A, yeah. Uh oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, he's got a nub. He's got a foot nub. Yes. So for years he had the record, but now these kids. Uh, Matt Prater, 64 year old field goal, longest field goal. Broncos uh, place kicker Matt Prater connects on a 64 yarder. Uh, December 8th, 2013. 
That's your record. Tom Dempsey was born without toes on his right foot and no fingers on his right hand. Mm-hmm. Oh. He wore a modified shoe with a flattened and enlarged toe surface, and there was controversy or contra- controversy about whether such a shoe gave a player an unfair advantage, and I say it did. Yeah. And when I think of political correctness, in 2022, I wonder how that would be handled. Because now that you say that, I remember people were quite vocal. Hey, that's not fair. You can't let the deformed guy do that. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) basically was the argument. Yeah. That argument would be handled a lot different in 2022. No, what we'll do is that... All the other players in the league now will wear shoes with a blunt front. They'll be a little longer because they have their entire foot. But to accommodate Tom, everyone will have a shoe that's similar. A blunt shoe, yes, exactly. A blunt shoe. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, in a sport where, or in a position in football, excuse me, where your your job is to kick the ball, Mm -hmm. having a nub with a flat surface, like I'm looking at the boot that he's wearing. That is a distinct advantage. I, I I guess. But, I mean, you'd have to hit it pretty sweet, wouldn't you, for that to be an advantage? Or it could be a disadvantage, maybe. I, I don't know. Anyway. But who would have... Think about that, though. When your baby is born with no toes on the one foot, mm-hmm. and you think, oh, what will become of our little darling? Could you have imagined mom and pop Dempsey thinking one day... He'll mm-hmm. kick field goals in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not really the uh, point of the Bills I game. When he set the record, too, he was playing with the New Orleans Saints. Am I correct there? Or does, does uh, I don't know. He played um, a lot of his uh, time with the Eagles. Okay. But right. uh, the point of yesterday's game was it was a long field goal, and I wondered mm-hmm. out loud to you now, how often is a field goal of that length kicked? The answer is not very often. No. Like, it was pretty good. It all depends on the situation, too. Was that not the last play of the half or something? Yes, it was. So it's like, okay, if he misses it, it's not like they're going to get the ball in our territory. So let's take a shot and see what happens. You know, maybe different situation in the game. You don't try that because if you miss, the other team gets the ball where you... No, it's literally the final seconds of the first half. Yeah, so that would be... That would play into that. Uh, My other observation, as I shared with you before the show started, is that my whole relationship to Jim Nance as a broadcaster is through golf. He's the premier guy at CBS, has been for years. Uh, There's a great story. His first, let me just park the Buffalo Bills for a second. Great story about Jim Nance. His first masters in the booth. Like he wasn't the lead anchor or the analyst. He was just a guy in the booth and it was his first time. Mm-hmm. And it was a 1986 Masters. And it was when Jack Nicholas came back and and won, at that time, the oldest major winner of all time at 46. And so Jim Nance is being driven back to the compound by another veteran broadcaster. And he says to Nance, this is Nance in 86, he says, Jim, you're going to be doing this job a long time, but you'll never see another day like this. And then 11 years later, Tiger Woods wins the Masters by 12 shots. Mm-hmm. Anyway. My relationship to Nance is, uh, I think he's great. I think he's one of the best broadcasters. But I, you know, other than the playoffs in football, I don't hear his voice on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said to you, I'm reminded how good he is at that job and how different Jim Nance, football Jim Nance is different than golf Jim Nance. Mm-hmm. 
he's really good at it. And he's good. I'll tell you another thing he's really good at is the way he, no pun intended, hands off to Romo, the way they work together. Mm-hmm. Do you think it bugs Nance that Romo makes like twice what he makes? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. But, you know, Jim Nance, I'm, he's well equip, uh, equipped with how the business works, I guess. it's Yeah. You know, unless you pay Tony Romo that money, he's probably not interested. That's what it takes to have him there. And you had an interesting observation about the fact that Nance and Romo were doing the game. Well, that's it, eh? Like, traditionally, the Buffalo Bills, when when their game is on one of the major networks, they get a couple of the local, uh, you know, CBS guys or NBC guys to do the the play-by-play guy, you know, sort of freelancers for the networks who work locally. But when the Buffalo Bills are getting the A-team, you know they've uh, come into their own. Mm -hmm. They're a force. You know, it didn't hurt that it's Kansas City, too, with Patrick Mahomes. It was a huge game. And they both made the point more than once in that broadcast yesterday, you're probably looking at the two best teams in the NFL. Unfortunately, they're in the same. Why wouldn't they be but but on they because so they're in the same division though aren't they are they're the same no they're both AFC teams that's what I mean they're not they can't see they can't meet each other in the Super Bowl no no they cannot which is too bad yeah yes it's too bad and your guy Josh Allen he's a pretty special kid yeah he's got to watch it though he's got you know. That guy is such a competitor. He so wants to win, and so and yesterday so wanted to better Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know that a couple of sequences there uh, in late in the game, like he ran the ball, like called the play for him to run the ball, which is scary. And then one of those times, he runs down the sidelines and he leaps over that defender. I know. Like what an invitation to, for a knee injury! Like wow, he's. I bet you they're having those conversations today. Like, like you, he's got to watch it because he goes down and everything changes. There's a great video at the end of the game. And they, they weren't playing in Buffalo. Were they playing in Buffalo? No. Okay, no. so they're playing yeah. in Kansas City. Yeah. At the end of the game, he's running off the field and the, some kid catches his eye and he's got the ball. And he runs up to the kid, gives the kid his, the game ball, stops and does selfies with the family. Like, this is seconds after the game ends. Mm-hmm. And, and it's those kind of things that make him special, too. He, he, has an, he has an awareness of himself that, you know, is very similar to a lot of the, the greats in any sport. That there's a sort of a self-awareness of, of where he is in the world that is different than a lot of athletes. You know, and he's bought into Buffalo. I mean, it's no secret. It's a bit what the Raptors go through. Guys get drafted by the Raptors and like, oh, Toronto, Canada, ah, I'm not sure. And Buffalo's the same way. I mean, look at that city. You get a guy like Josh Allen. Just think if he played like in L.A. or New York or, you know, opportunity is a lot larger for endorsements and stuff like that. It just, it is. But he bought into Buffalo right from the beginning, and he has a great attitude that way. And he's become, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league, so the endorsement door is going to fly open. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of guys been drafted over the years. Jim Kelly, when he was drafted by the Bills, he signed with the USFL instead. He didn't want to come to Buffalo. But he was one of the guys, when Josh Allen was drafted by the Bills, said to him, listen, 
you're going to love it there. You got to give it a chance. You're mm-hmm. going to love it. What kind of uh, Josh Allen's like 26 or something like that? What kind of money is he making in Buffalo? And is it commiserate with the money he'd make in Chicago, L.A. or, or no, New no, no. York? Oh, yeah, it will be yeah. as a t- from the team, right? Absolutely. No, I know yeah. endorsement opportunities yeah. are different. Yes, yeah, he'll be. I'm I'm sure he's on the verge of 30 million a year. I would imagine. I, I don't know off the top of my head what he's making now. But it takes a while to get there. But, um, you know, the, the top quarterbacks are making upwards of $30 million a year. So what's, uh, you know, what's Brady making at 40? Like, he's 20-something. But uh, I don't know. Speaking of the Raptors, their season gets underway uh, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. The Toronto Raptors start their season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Josh Allen is currently making $43 million a year. Oh, is he? Under a six-year deal, right? So, would he be the highest-paid guy in the league? Uh, that, I don't know. I okay, to. so he's already got the big contract. Yeah, yeah, that's something. Eh? Forty-three million a year living in Buffalo. <clears throat> nice, and uh, they're five and one. On goes a long way. Aaron Rodgers, fifty million. They're uh, five and one. By the way, in case anyone missed that, they've only Aaron lost Rodgers. one game. Aaron Rodgers, 50.2. Russell Wilson, 49. What's up, Patrick Mahomes? 45. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to continue with some sports? Now, uh, your friend Fred Ball sent me a long note, Fred. I have not responded to it yet because it's several paragraphs long. And uh, maybe we'll uh, respond uh, over the next couple of days. It has to do with this new uh, upstart PGA Tour versus Live Golf. And uh, Fred Ball has some interesting thoughts on it. But I want to really? talk. Yes, he does. Mm. He's a thoughtful fellow, our friend Fred. And his beautiful wife, Nancy. But I wanted to bring up uh, this subject very briefly. Don't have to belabor it. But the, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. Long, my, one of my favorite logos in hockey. One of the reasons is the Moose Jaw Canucks when I grew up. They were in the Chicago farm system somewhere way down. But their uniforms in Moose Jaw were Blackhawk uniforms. And I always thought it was the coolest. Even though I was a Boston Bruins fan, mm-hmm. I always thought that logo, of course, inappropriate. But the, um, the new Chicago Blackhawk logo... Not Blackhawk. That's a different logo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you seen it? It's pretty cool, actually. No, this is all news to me. I don't even. I have no idea what you're talking about. Now I'm not sure if this is what they've uh, adopted or what they're. The petition. Oh, I see what it is. It's a petition to change the Blackhawks logo to this was made by an indigenous artist. So they have not changed their logo, but there's a suggestion to change it to this badass. Blackhawk logo. Can you see the it? Bird? Now? Yeah, the bird, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how many of teams are left with uh you know ties to indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Well but dwindling. Look at, game, look at the game yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs. The crowd was doing the chop. The, the Tomahawk Chomp? They still doing that down there? Yeah. And it's, the, and it's Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah. Um, Atlanta Braves still doing the chop. 
Yet the Indians become the guardians, and the Redskins become the commanders. And you have the Redskins, man. You think about Eskimos how, became the Elks. Yeah, but think about like they're the Redskins. Mm-hmm. You can't be the Redskins anymore. Uh, the Blackhawks, you know, those are the ones that are like. Isn't that even though they would their argument is it's a tribute to the Blackhawk mm-hmm. nation, but it's. You know, you just can't have indigenous people on your hockey jerseys anymore. At some point, they're going to have to change the logo. Like the Indians one I got because their their character was like Chief Wahoo or whatever it was. And he was the (laughs) smiling guy. This Chicago Blackhawk one, I mean, as it is, it just looks very proud and and. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, how do you put it? It 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 doesn't look like um, it's mocking anything. No, I know, but by by very you know I mean? by it's for, yeah. by virtue of it of it of right. its existence. And again, you can't speak to it unless you know you you're looking at the perspective of an indigenous indigenous per, person. So I I don't know what what it would take to do that because it's a pretty easy transition because Blackhawk can move from an indigenous person to a bird yeah right and if you if you're looking at the same one that i i'm looking at it's mm-hmm. a pretty good logo i mean it, it sort of has a feel of the old logo to it yes it's just no longer representing a black hawk indian right what but, but but people would say why is that bird wearing indian feathers i don't know yeah i guess, <laughs> I guess. um but it, you know, you know the Washington Redskins. One of the one of the names that was in circulation, maybe to be adopted, was Redbirds. Now, the Redbirds were a black, um, a black um, part of the uh, uh, U.S. Air Force in the Second World War. They were called the black. Uh, they were called the Redbirds, but they were these black fire, fighter pilots that were amazing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would have been a great transition. Redskins to red birds, you're going from, you know, an insult to an actual tribute, like a, an actual tribute. Mm-hmm. But instead they went with commanders, which I think is a very bulky and awkward name. It is an awkward name. Mm-hmm. You know, I sometimes think about, you know, though not just a red bird, but there's, there's a bunch of stories about famous black units in World mm-hmm. War II, uh, in the aviation world and beyond. And I, also, I often wonder... These young black men went to Europe in World War II, fought for their country, came back and were told they couldn't drink water out of the same fountain as some fucking white people. <laughs> like, fuck. You know, can you imagine what that, what, you know, we can't, I can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. What is that like when you, you've just risked your life? For some bow, you know, some stupid backwoods Alabama white guy who who didn't go to World War Two and risk and risk their lives, and they're telling you you can't. Like this is remember this at the time that Jackie Robinson came into the mm-hmm. baseball league, he couldn't stay at the same hotel as his teammates. Yeah, yeah, not good. Uh, before I, uh, I was going to say I wanted to play this because. Uh, you know, too much time will get, you know, we have still business to take care of. ...during your commute again. Do you find yourself living at work time instead of working flying from home? Couldn't this have been an email? When it feels like all that's left is work hard. 
you know it's time to play. It's easy to find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Play free casino games, get poker tips, and check out the latest sports odds. Visit Bodog.net today. Hashtag make a play. I uh, got a note from the retirement Sherpa. He uh, is going to be traveling and will not be with us on Wednesday. But, Fred, you can talk about the great work the Sherpa does right now. Yes, the retirement Sherpa, Tim Niblett. Uh, Tim is a portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. Tim, again, licensed on both sides of the borders. And we know there are, you know, expats, whatever, living, uh, living in the States that listen to this podcast. So just so you know... You can work his magic down there as well. Tim Niblett has helped a lot of Humble and Fred listeners. Yes, he has over the years. I mean, he has a long list. And he mm. talks about you know, how gracious a lot of these people are and uh, how much fun they've been to work with. That can be you, okay? Retirement Sherpa, Tim Niblett. Contact him, retirementsherpa.ca. Okay, Raptors, Blackhawks logo. You know, you talk, too, about war and uh, horror stories, even as late as, you know, the Vietnam War, where kids were getting drafted, a lot of black kids, and a lot of black kids went because it was like a a job on some level, and they were sent to the front lines ahead of the white kids and on, and all sorts of horrible stories. Well, yeah, of course, the great uh, President Bone Spurs, he never had to go to service. Like, Mm -hmm. that, the entire... I've told you I've read some books about Trump. The entire history of Donald Trump is a history of privilege and lies. And, and I know it's been a few days since we did a show, and I don't want to get into the whole... Although I do have a couple of Trump things, but I can save them if you want. But, but I did watch quite a bit of the hearings on Thursday, I, I thought, because because of the history that it was making. And then my, I, I thought, well, okay, if this is going to be the last hearing, I want to grab a, a little bit of it. I watched a couple hours of it. Did you see any of it? Yeah. It was pretty compelling stuff. Yeah. They the behind the scenes with uh, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, uh, Schumer, whatever the guy. And uh, what, what is interesting to me is while the president of the United States, uh-huh. whether he believed he started the riot or the insurrection or not, while it was going on, did absolutely nothing that's no, there's no doubt about it like there's been so many witnesses mm-hmm. that said all he did was watch television while this mm-hmm. three or four hour riot was happening at the capitol so we know that and then there's this old woman <laughs> she is i don't know how old she is she's got to be in her late 70s this old woman is taking charge mm-hmm and, and liaison and talking to the vice president and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But the thing I wanted, the point I wanted to make about it is how they could take that. And they did. The right wing took that. Uh, and somehow they've turned it into the fact that the fact that there was no security or that there was no National Guard call, that it was her fault. Mm-hmm. It, somehow the whole thing is her fault. They don't mm-hmm. forget the fact that Donald, they're all with Donald Trump mm-hmm. signs, beating people with them. Mm-hmm. They somehow made it. Somehow they figured out a way to make a Nancy's Pelosi's fault. And I even saw some tweets this weekend. They th- that, that they thought that was all staged, that that really wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the world we live in, that even when you see something with your own eyes now, they will tell you that that's not what happened. But even if say, OK, let's play this game. She is responsible for for security. It didn't show up. Say that happened. 
the commander-in-chief. So it got out of hand. The commander-in-chief sat there, even if it was her fault. And I'm not saying it was, and it wasn't. But say it was her fault, and that happened. The issue is the commander-in-chief sat there and did not call them off. That's that's the issue. I know. And even now they keep, and I love it, every time these assholes talk about it, they say this partisan hearing. It's not a partisan hearing. All the people with any compelling testimony are his people. Republicans. They're Republicans. They're people that worked for him. They were devoted to him. They were part of his team. And a lot of them chose to be part of his team, but then turned on him when they saw what actually happened. And Sean Hannity knows that. Tucker Carlson knows that. They, his, there's so many people. Um, the, the, a huge portion of the people that testified in this thing, over a thousand interviews, the, the majority were Republican and or worked for Trump. But they never mentioned that. But Sean Hannity knows that today. He got up this morning. He knows all that. And it's what we've been saying. It's knowing it's wrong and still and still going ahead and promoting this lie. You know, the fact that after all this evidence that they had debates, I'm forget Herschel Walker and Carrie Lake in Arizona, but they, who are still saying the election was stolen. Like, even if you're a Republican supporter, you've got to know by now it wasn't. If they've proven nothing at this hearing, is that. They, there's so much evidence that says it wasn't stolen. I don't know how much more evidence they need. And still that guy is out there at his rallies saying it was. And, and as I'll just finish by saying that the sad part for me is what it's all about is raising money off the backs of poor, comma, stupid people. Yeah. Simpletons. But poor people that can ill afford to send them money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. You know, and that Carrie Lake, I mean, she's just wicked, just a wicked person. You know, and she 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 used to speak out against Trump, but just saw her opportunity to become governor and, you know, and get into that. You know, that industry of American politicians who make $175,000 or $200,000 a year and emerge as multimillionaires. She saw that opportunity. The door was cracked open a bit. Ah, so part of that strategy, become a Trump fan, get his endorsement. And yeah, I'm on my way. So they don't, these people don't care about their country. They just don't. That's one thing through all of this. Is this American patriotism is just bullshit. It's just bullshit. You're presented with the facts. You're presented with this compelling evidence that these people were insurrectionists. And they won't even, like, criticize the guy responsible. And they're supposed to be patriots. I think it was Jack uh, Tapper the other night said, you notice that all the heroes through this, all the people with character are women. Yeah. All the ones that have shown their face and testified. Republicans worked for Trump. Allowing their names to be known, putting their faces in the camera and saying these things. The only ones are really women. A great amount of them are, yeah. Yeah, so he said, well, the ones that have, you know, were right no, in but, Yeah, I know, that but that's going to say that his, his attorney, Pat Scipione, and a few of these guys, they've, they, they've allowed right. themselves to be filmed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, a lot of the ones that were the most to lose, like the, one, mm-hmm. the woman that worked for Meadows, I can't remember her name, very nice. Right. Uh, 
And uh, his pre- the, the, the woman that was, uh, I think, press secretary, somebody just literally mm-hmm. quit on the day. On January 6th, somebody working for him quit. Yeah, the mm-hmm. woman. I can't remember her name. Yeah. And, you know, and as Tapper said, and of course, there's probably maybe people listening to the show. Go, oh, Jake Tapper. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. Anyway. Yeah. Like, say what you want about Jake Tapper and, you know, but his integrity compared to like Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson. Like, don't waste my time with that. Um but he said, too bad, you know, these uh, middle-aged white men didn't have the integrity and the guts and the, uh, and the bravery of these women. Yeah. And that's another thing. You know, when they talk about this committee being partisan, mm-hmm. there's Republicans on the fucking committee. Well, that's the point. Liz Cheney, Kissinger, yeah. or Ken, what's his name? Uh, Kessinger. Adam, I can't remember his last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, that the and at the center of it all is the great grifter of all time. All mm-hmm. he's about is raising money. Like there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Warren Buffett was quoted as saying, you know, everyone, all everyone in the real billionaire community thinks it's laughable that mm-hmm. Trump keeps telling people he's a billionaire because they know mm-hmm. he's not. Mm-hmm. All he's about is raising money. Here's what um, here's what he said this weekend. No president has done more for Israel than I have. And then he goes on to say, somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals, oh yes, because he's such a pious man, are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. Here's the point I'm getting at. He says those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world, meaning about him, could easily be the prime minister of Israel himself. <laughs> and then he says, U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. What he's saying is they're not sending him enough money. Mm-hmm. And and it's again, when I say the the people that are suffering are poor comma and dumb and it doesn't make them bad it just makes them easily duped Mm -hmm. because if you're still living in america and you believe the election is stolen you're on the wrong side of this history and the people that are saying at the Kerry lakes and on and on they know the and hannity they all know it they all know the real story and they're just trying to make money off these poor people yeah, and it's a sad statement on America and bothers me a bit up here, too. You know, the election being stolen, I mean, to me, that's sort of the secondary issue. To me, and, and I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. It's intolerance and racism. Those simple people have been convinced that there are people in the way of them having this prosperous life that America is supposed to give you. And they identify you know, immigrants and blacks and that as those people in their way. It's it's sickening. You know, it's, it's all about again, you know, he and he's the you know, he's the great grifter, he's the great enabler. Those those dog whistles were all those people needed to hear. Think about how convoluted it all is when a guy like Herschel Walker who isn't smart enough to work at a rental car counter like and that doesn't make him a bad person i mean all the other stuff he's done makes him a bad person but being dumb doesn't make him a bad person but it doesn't make him qualified to represent people in a complicated world of issues and Mm -hmm. policy and all that stuff i'm not smart enough but i know he isn't so think about how convoluted 
You have to be to think mm-hmm. that's a good option just because you want to hang on mm-hmm. to the power that comes with the majority in the Senate mm-hmm. and Congress. But he really is in any other time in history. I can't imagine, you know, to even 20 years ago that a person like that would have a chance. Against well, they, uh, him and that Warnock guy had a debate. I think it was yeah. Saturday night. And um, the general consensus was that Herschel Walker come out of that pretty good. Yep. And it gets back to what you said, I think, early last week. The Democrats don't want to play the same game. This Warnock guy sort of didn't really go into his. I know. You know, his, um, you know, his um, pathetic history of fatherhood and the abortion thing. He, you know, tried to, uh, tried to just not class it up, but just stay away from that stuff and talk about the issues. Well, that worked to Herschel Walker's benefit. It, it did. And it, I don't know when they're going to take the gloves off. I, I mean, well, they must have calculated that if, if Warnock beat up on them, which he could have easily done, not not only about the fatherhood issues and the abortion uh, hypocrisy, but just how dumb the guy is. Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't make him a bad person. Just makes him shouldn't he shouldn't be the guy in charge mm-hmm. of making decisions that affect all these poor sort of people. Mm-hmm. Well, November eighth. It's going to be interesting because if the Republicans, you know, get the House and the Senate, it's just going to be a circus. I I can't see anything getting done in that country. Uh, Jackie uh, Delaney is going to be with us, I think. Let me just check. When is she here again? Yeah, she's with us on Wednesday. We'll talk uh, all things Canadian politics with her, although I did get a (laughs) I just know it's kind of funny because uh, last week we were talking about me, uh, my brother, Steve in Edmonton. I just come back from visiting my father's sister, Auntie Ruby. And uh, there was some talk on the show, me not me and my older brother, not calling her too much or going to visit her. Mm -hmm. And Tony Clement, who used to be in, you know, one of the guys in charge of this country tweeted at me saying, have you called Auntie Ruby yet? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It was. I was like, that's funny. Clement, Tony, have you called? I didn't call her. Uh, this last weekend was uh, pretty much, I think, the end of golf for me in Toronto for the season. Because when I get back from Paris or France, I'll be here for a couple weeks in November. Traditionally, most courses will be closed by then. But I, I'll be honest with you. I think I'm getting to the point now as I've gotten older where like, it was pretty miserable Saturday morning for a few, uh, for about an hour. We were playing in the rain and it was cold. And I kept thinking to myself, what am I doing? <laughs> why, why am I doing this? And it turns out some guys had the same thought as me. And they just walked off the course and sat in the bar drinking Guinness for four hours. Mm-hmm. And I said to them after, I said, I could sort of see it because there was a point around the third hole where it was raining sideways and I was freezing. I'm like, you know, I just wonder, why don't we just, you know, call this a day? And then it's, the rain stopped and it was just cold, but I don't have the wherewithal anymore to to want to be that uncomfortable. No, I'll tell you, I enjoy the sport, obviously, not nearly as much as you do. I mean, that's not even a conversation, but I have no, no interest in that sport in lousy weather. None. 
None. They've been having some uh, nice weather on the West Coast. I, uh, our friend Captain Phil uh, tweeted something about they, they're calling it Augustober, August and October because it's so warm out there. Mm-hmm. October. But even last week when you went out, that day that you guys played, like this was last, it was like in the 20s. Right. It was gorgeous. It was fantastic. It was one of those days you were just so happy to be alive. And I'm serious. And then looking at the escarpment there and all the leaves changing, and it was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Wonderful. But we all know that that is coming to an an end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's some snow showers, actually, in the forecast. Um, We're going to talk to uh, our new friend, Daryl Croft, from Electric Vehicle Network. But uh, before we do, let's make sure we take care of these people. Yeah, Canada's number one group benefits plan for small business. It's the Chambers Plan, Canada's leading group benefit plan for, you know, companies with, uh, say, up to 100 employees. You can get a free quote today. Go to chamberplan.ca. It's all there. Uh, We're talking dental. We're talking prescriptions. We're talking travel insurance and all sorts of other products like an HR component. Yes, HR and mental health. Very important these days. This mixed up crazy world in which we live in, a lot of stuff tugging on people. Well, they've got that covered as well. Of course they do. Chambers of Commerce, Group Insurance Plan, chamberplan.ca. You're, uh, I keep saying you're a friend, but, but our friend Darren Waslick sent me a note on, uh, I can't remember, Saturday morning or something, but we were talking about, uh, he, he was giving me the heads up, um, I think this was Friday, on the documentary, and I guess it's available on uh, Amazon Prime, I think. Oh, no, it's Crave, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you got Crave. Oh, there's Daryl. Hang on a second. Anyway, it's, uh, I'll, we'll talk about that another time. But apparently the Sinead O'Connor documentary is uh, well worth it. And, uh, you know, Darren, he's not a he's not a guy given to, uh, you know, overdoing it. And uh, he had some good things to say about it. Yeah, he sent me that note as well. I haven't got to it yet. Uh, let's get uh, Daryl uh, set here. Daryl Croft. From the Electric Vehicle Network. And for the next year, you're going to be getting educated about the world of electric vehicles. And uh, I've had the uh, last four or five days to tool around in a Tesla. You don't have to be in a Tesla to, to experience what it's like to be in an electric vehicle. Daryl, you gonna, can you turn your microphone on? I know you know how to do this. There you go. Sure. There you go. There and you're go. there you are. Look at you, Daryl. Look, there's Fred. There's Daryl. Hey, Daryl. Hey, Good morning, Fred. How are you? Can, Fred, you look younger every time I see you. You look great. Oh, thank you very much. So do you. I was just gonna say that. I was. I was. <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you. Um how so Daryl is a friend of my friend Tommy O's, and Tommy O loves the show. And I don't know a while long, long ago. Daryl and I got together to talk electric vehicles, and uh, a few days ago, I finally got to be in one. But uh, before we get into that, first of all, welcome to the program, 
uh, from EV. Uh, I want to make sure I get the... So I want everyone to go check this out. It's ev.net. But uh, for the next year, we're going to be talking about... Before we get into what you guys do, let's talk about why it's so... um, why this has become such a popular category. In fact, I read something, maybe you sent it to me, that 50 Canadians, 50% of Canadians say their next vehicle purchase will be a, an electric vehicle. Why is that? So, so every year the number goes up. So now it's about 65% of Canadians say when they buy their next car, they expect it to be electric. And, and the reason is they're listening to their friends, their neighbors that are driving electric. And all they're hearing is how great it is, how quiet it is, no gas, low maintenance. It's just fun to drive. So, you know, people are skeptical until they actually hop in a car and they're like, wow, this is quiet. This is fast. And then the thought is, OK, my next one's going to be electric. I believe that's a big thing. And, and price is obviously an issue, too. But I think that's a little misconception, too. There are affordable electric cars out there. You know, it's so new to most people in their mind, they think they can only have to buy new. That's not true at all. The majority of the car business is used out there today. For every time a new car is sold, it's sold three times later in the used market. And a lot of people that bought an EV, let's say three years ago, and Tesla's a good example. Tesla came out with the sedan first, and then they came out with the uh, SUV later. So people love the product, but they're like, I really want an SUV, so I want to sell sell Mm -hmm. my sedan. So a lot of them are showing up from various models, and people don't even think about it because they've never been in one. But that's a huge market. And we'll talk about your business in a second, too, evnet.ca. And and by the way, it's not just Teslas. There's all kinds, and we're going to test drive some of these. There's like the Nissan Leaf. Leaf, there's the Kona, there's a Bolt, there's the Outlander. But the experience, I've been in a couple of them, but I've never driven one. And I've had this uh, Tesla Model 3 for the last three or four days. And the first thing, and I was talking about this maybe with Daryl, but my buddy Dave, who's a real, knows, he understands engines. I said, Dave, this is the fastest car I've ever driven. Why is that? Why is there so much pickup in this thing? For such a small car, I didn't really understand it. And the way he was explaining, Daryl, is that it's like the equivalent of a multi, like a, like a, a thousand horsepowers. But what is it really? Well, electric motor is much more efficient than a gas motor. If you think of all the cycles, when when you press your gas pedal, gas has got to get injected into a cylinder. It fires off an explosion, generates a bunch of heat, pushes down a piston. Uh, Electric is almost like when we were driving those little cars as a kid, you know, around the track. And or like a uh, electric go-kart. like a golf cart, I mean, a golf cart. You just press; it's direct to the wheels. Turns much more efficient, so faster and quick, quick response. Well, the other thing that I found odd too, and this is right away when you and I were doing a little test drive, is when you take your foot off the accelerator, the car just stops. It, it just again, if you've ever driven a golf cart, it's exactly that feeling where. You don't really need to brake very much. In fact, you said something, too, that, that, I, that did turn out to be true for me, is you've got to be careful because people behind you, because you're, you're basically slowing down without the brake lights going on. 
You're right. I mean, when you when you let off the the accelerator instead of the gas pedal accelerator, the car will slow down right away. There's no coasting in an EV, right? Because it grabs that energy when you, the car is moving, and the motor knows when you let off the accelerator. Hey, that's they don't need that energy anymore. Let's grab it. So the car goes forward and fast and back slows really quickly. Most people are shocked. They're not used to that driving a gas car. Like you just think, oh, the vehicle in front of me, it can't stop that fast. So you got to be, be cognizant of the people behind you can't stop like you can stop. So you, you leave a little bit of room. Usually my strategy is go fast, get away from them. <laughs> and, and then I don't worry about it. <laughs> so what do you mean there's no coasting? So as soon as you let your foot off the accelerator, the electric motors grab that kinetic energy because, you know, so it starts to slow the the motors, grab that energy and feed it back into the battery. So it's not wasted energy. So by doing that, the car is slowing down without applying brakes. The motor actually is is taking that energy Mm -hmm. and you're feeding it back into the battery. Yeah, but the wheels are still turning as you. They are. But it's it's the weirdest feeling. It's mm -hmm. like driving a golf cart. Because it's the same thing. As soon as you take your foot off the accelerator. Um, so that took a little while getting used to. The other thing that's odd, and it reminded me, you'll laugh at this, Daryl. So I was driving it around this weekend, and all I was doing was, it reminded me when I first got a, a car phone. All I did was call people from the car and tell them I was calling them for the car. All I did, because it's so quiet inside the, the cabin of this car that I was calling my kids. I'm like, hey, daddy's calling you from the Tesla, and I don't have to scream because there's no sound of a motor. I mean, forget the fact that Tesla's got so many. It's just such a, a ridiculous technological experience. But just that the quietness of these vehicles was a bit. It's funny you say that, Howard, because, you know, I grew up. My family's a music family. We love music. And I always have my music on. And I have friends of mine that they say, I love the roar of the engine. I love not hearing myself. Sorry, when I'm in the car, I love my music and I'll play that or everything <laughs> right. I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. So I, I, it's not like it's, it is super quiet. So I can hear exactly what I want to hear without the, the rumble to, to make myself deaf. And, and, and so it is very much more enjoyable from that point of view to hear what you want to hear. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned SUVs as well, because I think again, when it gets to the misconceptions and the educations uh, of the, we were talking about, you know, um, you know, podcasts and apps and everything, how it takes time for people to get their head around how all this yeah. works. And it, again, somebody like me who's always driven an SUV, it's like, ah, oh, electric, oh, I, know, I want an SUV. Well, they're out there. So are pickup trucks, right? Right. Yeah, I own an F-150 Lightning pickup truck. Right. I have the Konas. I have the Model Ys SUVs. Mm-hmm. And bar none, I've, because I've been, my history is in automotive service, I've mm-hmm. been in all sorts of sports cars and SUVs and pickups. But bar none, the Model Y, which is a top-selling vehicle for a Tesla, I don't care what you spend. That mm-hmm. Model Y is an awesome, awesome SUV, and, and I right. would take it over almost anything. And that's why Tesla's going crazy selling them. So you're right, uh, Fred. It's, it's SUVs are there, and they're, gr- they're, they're here now, available. So mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. what we're going to do for the next year is educate people on the world of electric vehicles and obviously your company. And uh, I think we're going to get Freddie into an SUV for a little test drive. Because I think that's important that people realize it's not just because mm-hmm. everyone thinks electric vehicles and Tesla, but there's so much EV net has a bunch of different ones. And, and it's funny because on I don't know if you saw this, but on our social media, we posted that we were going to be talking to you. And right away, people are like, are we giving away an electric vehicle? We're not, <laughs> but we are going to give away 
on several occasions over the next 12 months, a chance for people to drive one for the weekend. Because one of the things that happens at EV.net, I'm sorry, that's not right. It's EVNet.ca, is you guys lease and rent them. People, if you want to rent a Tesla for the weekend, you can do that with your company. You know, that's a big thing. The car is a a huge part of our lives. The reality, if you are a driver, it's a huge part of your life. And it's unreasonable to think people are going to switch without a chance to to drive it. Mm -hmm. And around the block doesn't cut it. As you said, Howard, it took you some days to get used to that feel. It's so different, right? So people have to have a chance in their own terms, in their own space, with their own significant others to drive. Because the reality is, you know, your kids or your wife better like it as well as you or else you're not going to buy. So the chance to take it home for a weekend or a week or two weeks or whatever, uh, it's so important. We believe it's the number one thing before people can practically make a decision to go to electric. Right. right? I think it's smart. It's smart. It's smart. As you say in your uh, uh, literature, renting allows the client to go on an extended test drive mm-hmm. in a sense. Freddie? And, and another thing is range. Uh, misconceptions there oh my as God, well. Yeah. But even with ranges, if you're going on a long trip and you have to, you know, you know, map your journey to make sure you're near um, recharging stations, balance that to the fact that you're never pulling up to a gas pump. <laughs> like, yeah, just think about that, especially now. Like, say, you know, we got our buddy Rudra, you know, he does long trips all the time and he, he, you know, he's got a strategy on how he does it. But at the end of that trip where I may have spent four or five hundred dollars on gas, he spends zero. That's right. And and the other side to that is a few minutes at at a charging station. Like, I'll take that deal any day of the week. Yeah, my daughter is at school in Boston, and we drove down a couple of months ago to see her. And the car tells you where to stop. It's not like you you don't have mm-hmm. to think about it. You just put in where you're going, and along the way, it knows when you're going to give you your options along the way. And I'm telling you, after driving three, four hours, I need a coffee or a washroom break for 20 minutes. And literally, there are 25 minutes. Most times, the car was ready to go before we were to get back in the car. And right. another three, four hours. So it is next insignificant and you're right fred with the amount of savings you get on the fuel part of it and not smelling like fuel you're on a road trip and your hand gets full of fuel it's terrible but but you know and again it seems uh, these are the questions that come up all the time how what if i because i i'm going to take it uh this winter i'm going to be spending at least a a month down south and i'm going to have that experience of mapping how i go and the route of the my route to go and get it charged and and it's funny because it really is for the sake of a half an hour stop, which you're going to need anyway. It's it's interesting how that is. All those things will someday just become commonplace. And you and I have talked about this, Daryl. There's no end of places to charge, whether you're on route to somewhere or around the city. It's becoming you know so commonplace. Plus the fact that I've got a charger in my garage. Uh, we now we put one in. So, and well, again, we're going to talk about this uh, level two, whatever. But even if you didn't have a charger, you can just plug it in anywhere. And overnight, it will charge your car. You know, more and more employers are getting smart about this as well. So the first thing we ask, can you charge where you live or where you work? But as an employer... All you have to do is put in a plug. That's all you got to do for your employee. Then they're able to charge where they work every day. And if they could save four or five, six grand a year, and that's after tax dollars, you know, to plug in when they're at work every day. And and the cost you probably 500 bucks to put in the plug or a thousand bucks to put in a plug. That's a smart move for an employer. Yeah. If someone can't charge at home, but, but, 
you know, just as long as you can charge, you're next to never even going to the public cha- stations, really. Mm-hmm. Daryl Croft, uh, a name you're going to hear a lot in the next uh, 12 months, evnet.ca. There's EVs for sale along with EVs for rent and lease. And uh, I tell you, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be very happy to give you the Tesla back. It's really fun to drive. I'll talk, I'll talk about it a little bit in the next couple of days, but it's really fun to drive, and it's got lots of cool shit in it. Uh, well, Daryl, look, look at look, Rudra just sent us this thing. I'll just read this quickly. He's had his for 16 months, $0 on maintenance, no need for oil changes, no air filter, no transmission maintenance, like on and on and on. Like yeah. it's, just a ma- and again, like it's back up to a buck sixty a liter. Imagine not having to deal with that. It's just uh, that in itself. You know, and we grew up always around the necessity of going to a gas station. Mm-hmm. The biggest shocker to me when I got in this business was how much a lot of people hate in the middle of winter freezing mm-hmm. your ass off. And and, yeah. and I don't want to sound sexist here, but. You know, women in particular have said they're going out in a dark spot in the end of the night to go get smelly, full of gas. They don't like it. The yeah. fact that you could just plug in wherever you live and where you work, you're in 10 seconds. Like for, for that extra 10 minutes on the road, you're saving that throughout the week by never going to a gas station on a weekly basis. Well, those women need a husband like me because I <laughs> go and gas up. Oh, that's right. Are you serious? Oh, that's yes. right. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? Yes. Don't say that. Daryl, if you I saw... I never did that. Dude, if you saw his wife, you'd understand why because she's so hot. She's so beautiful. He just does anything she asks him with good reason. Right. Daryl Croft, <laughs> evnet.ca. Great first appearance. Uh, looking Thank forward you. to uh, having these discussions about the uh, and, and as I said, Daryl and I have figured this out that a couple of times over the next year, we're going to give you, the listener, a chance to experience this for a weekend. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I when you left the other day and I went for a ride myself, I drove to Oakville and back and I was just playing around. I, it's weird. Like, it reminds me of when I first started. <laughs> this is going to sound strange. When I first learned to fly, sometimes I would just, you know, take it out just to sort of familiarize myself with it. And I just went on a couple trips. Right away, I said to myself, I'm never not driving one of these cars. Like, it's so, you instantly get why it's so, not only economical, but why it's such a different experience. And hopefully in the next year, we'll be able to educate enough people uh, that you'll also get that. Daryl, thanks very much, buddy. I'll talk to you. I'll, well, I'm going to talk to you in the next couple of days about bringing the car back. Yeah, but um, Thanks, guys. See yeah, man, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Take Likewise. care. There thanks. you go. There's Daryl Croft. Thanks. He's a good man. Just let yourself out of the Zoom room, and uh, I'll give you a shout later. Okay. You know, the... Um, uh, the cockpit of the Tesla, all it is, is one computer screen. You said cockpit. Your cockpit. Yeah. yeah. It's one computer screen. And right. it's uh, mm-hmm. pretty big, too, right? Yeah. But really, you know, again, the last plane I was licensed to fly right. was all computerized. All It was two screens and the engine screen and all the other stuff. So I, I, it sort of reminds me of that, but it's much simpler. At first, it's a little intimidating. I won't lie to you. I was like, I sat there in the parking lot for a half an hour just going through different commands and trying to remember where everything is. But just driving, it's very, very simple. It's a little bit unnerving, though. Because you're never sure if it's on or not. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you get, first of all, you don't turn anything on. You just get in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it's there. It's ready to go. 
So there's that weird sort of like you're sort of, you know, when you normally drive your own car, the engine starts and now you know it's time to go. But yeah, it's pretty fascinating. You're going to love the, uh, he's going to get you an SUV for the month of uh, November. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Partly because of the economics, but also mm-hmm. the, the comfort of it. The, it. It's really different. It's a different driving experience. And I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have imagined it being so different, but it really mm-hmm. is. Right. Interesting. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, there you go. Uh, that's our little show for today. 11 years of doing the show together. And uh, as I said, you know, we would have never imagined on those days in July, August, September of 2011, while we were building all this, that we'd still be doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I will tell you that... Uh, this review I read also came with our ranking that in under Apple Podcast Canada, we are number 175, which may not sound like a lot, folks, but in the, uh, you know, you think about the tens and hundreds of thousands of uh, podcasts, especially in our category. Yeah. Still pretty good. And just look up and just look above. They're all superstars, or they have the backing of big uh, communica- communication companies. Communication. We're, we're just uh, fiercely independent, and there we are. Just a couple of old boobs sitting around. Yeah. And um, we're in good shape, and we can guarantee this will be going. We'll be sitting here on our 12th anniversary, guaranteed. Well, I like to hear you say that. And uh, again, thanks uh, to everyone. Uh, appreciate your uh, helping us out by listening to the show, becoming a Hundy P. In the meantime, this episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, and HealthGage. You can email us, humbleandfred at humbleandfredradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And on whatever platform you're listening, help us out by liking, subscribing, and giving us all the stars you can. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, no matter where I am, France, Italy, or in the sky somewhere over the Atlantic, I'm still here. Enjoy every goddamn day. A little up the road from the habitations of the towns we know. A place we saw the lights turn low. The jigsaw jazz in the get fresh flow. Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts. Two turntables and a microphone. Bottles and cans that just clap your hands or just clap your hands. Where's that?